1: Hi, everyone, and thank you for tuning in to the 488th episode of the Hollywood Reporter's Awards Chatter Podcast. I'm the host, Scott Feinberg, and my guest today was one of the biggest rock and roll stars and movie stars of the late 1950s and early 1960s. Indeed, he was a teen idol who the Los Angeles Times has described as the Justin Timberlake of his day. On the music side of the ledger, he had 31 singles that made the charts, seven that cracked the top 10, and two... Venus, and Why, both from 1959, that reached number one. Meanwhile, on the film side, he and one-time Mickey Mouse Club mousketeer Annette Funicello were teamed by Samuel Z. Arkoff's American International Pictures in seven beach movies. 1963's Beach Party, 1964's Muscle Beach Party, Bikini Beach and Pajama Party, 1965's Beach Blanket Bingo and How to Stuff a Wild Bikini, and 1987's Back to the Beach, all of which cost only a little, grossed a lot, and made the two of them, in the words of Vanity Fair, as inseparable a screen duo in the public's eye as Fred and Ginger or Tracy and Hepburn. And in the 1978 film Grease, he reached a new generation of fans through his appearance as Teen Angel, who sings beauty school dropout to Didi Khan's character Frenchie. I'm talking, of course, about Frankie Avalon. Over the course of our conversation at the wonderful TCM Classic Film Festival in Hollywood, where Avalon was greeted with a hero's welcome before 60th anniversary screening of Beach Party by the pool of the Hollywood Roosevelt Hotel, the 82-year-old and I discussed his rapid rise from Philadelphia trumpeter to Hollywood superstar, the stories behind his biggest hits in music and film, and his special chemistry with Funicello, who died in 2013. What his life is like today plus much more. And so without further ado, let's go to that conversation. All right, Mr. Avalon, thank you so much for doing this. Great to have you on the podcast.
0: And just to begin with, can you share where you were born and raised? I am born and raised in Philadelphia, South Philadelphia. And
1: I guess it was your dad that we have to thank for all of this kind of Starting in a way, right? What, how did you, at, at a pretty early age, get into the trumpet? And how did that then kind of
0: lead to everything else? You know, my dad was a very talented guy and um, never had any training whatsoever As a musician, but he could play anything. I mean, he could play ukulele, he could play accordion, he could play piano, whatever was around. Harmonica, you know. And he always wanted me to get involved with music, and I never really wanted. I really wanted to be a boxer. Oh wow! And I was boxing for the police athletic league at the time as a young boy. And um, on Saturdays, my mom used to uh, pack a lunch for me, and I would go to the local movie house, and uh, they would show cartoons and a film. And the film at this one particular time was a picture called Young Man with a Horn. Yeah, Kirk Douglas. And it was starring Kirk Douglas. And uh, it was about a a young boy who started to play this horn and became very successful. And uh, I think I related to that. Not only that, for some reason, I just fell in love with the sound of that trumpet. Hmm. And I went home uh, after seeing the movie about five or six times. And I said, Dad, I want to play a trumpet. And he was thrilled about that. Mm-hmm. So the next day he went to a pawn shop, and for about $6 he bought me a horn. And I took the horn, I went into my room, and uh, I came out in about an hour and I played it. I played a song called Music, Music, Music. da 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 And that was the beginning, and I started practicing. I, I would practice Scott for, I don't know, three, four, five hours a day. I just loved it. I just loved it. Well, and the fact that you ended up when you when you kind of
1: uh, signed your record deal as a singer, that was almost a, a freak thing, right? It sounds like you were part of a band and somebody was looking for a singer and you told them to go check out the, the front man of your band. Is that right? Well, no, you're jumping. You're jumping. Yeah, yeah you're jumping ahead because like, well, I guess, well, so early, there was the earliest, there were early... Talk about how singing first entered the
0: picture. Well, well, first of all, the trumpet. Yeah. Uh, Al Martino was a very big star at the time. Yes. And they were having a party for him celebrating his success. He was number one around the world. And they were giving this party, and I, I went into the neighborhood there and I made my way through with my trumpet. Uh, in a case, and I, I I knocked on the door, and the man opened up the door. He said, yeah, what, what do you want? I said, uh, I'd like to play my trumpet for Al Martino. He said, come on in, kid. So I did, and I took out my horn. And I started to play, and the party kind of stopped, and Al Martino said, who is this kid?
1: Mm-hmm.
0: He said, I don't know. He's from the neighborhood. <laughs> he said, what's your name? I said, my name's Frank avaloni Where do you live? I said, I live on 13th Street. We're on 20th Street there. He said, uh, Al Martino said, Can you talk to his parents and see? I want to take him to New York. I think the agency would like to hear this guy play. I think he's really talented, this kid. I was 11. Right. So they took me in there and I played for Jack Sobel, who was the big agent there. And, uh, he said to me, wow, he's terrific. I played for him. He said, you know, we handle Jackie Gleason and he's staying at the, he's got a penthouse at the Sheridan Hotel. He took me over there and uh, they were rehearsing and, and, and looking at scripts and all that stuff. I took out my horn, I played. Gleason heard me play and he said, uh, write a show I want him one in two weeks. So that was my <laughs> first introduction to
1: television. And there were, I know, a number of is there and, and with, with television, but, and I think you were originally, it was, it, you were kind of first known as this, what was it? They billed you as like 11 year old, uh, prodigy, yeah. prodigy, yeah, but, right, right. um, but so the fact though, that you're making your name as a trumpet player, but uh-huh. then eventually get noticed for your voice, how do, this happens? Just total freak, Frankie, oh, yeah, right? yeah,
0: absolutely. Because when I, I auditioned for it, there was a band and the trumpet player had left, and the band was called Rocco and the Saints, so they needed a trumpet player. And uh, word got out that, uh, you know, Frankie Avalon's a good trumpet player. So Rocco uh, came to my house, and and he said to me, um, let me hear you play. I played for him. He said, okay, uh, uh, you got the job. <laughs> And I was thrilled about that, and I I remember, this was 1950, probably 1955 or 56, Mm -hmm. and when I came out of my house, he had parked his car in front, and it was a 55 red convertible Thunderbird. (laughs) And I said, wow, what a car. He said, do you like it? Do you want to drive it? I said, sure. I never drove a car in my life, (laughs) and I drove it. And he hired me, and I started playing with the band, and then... um, I, he said to me, you know, you got to start singing some songs. I said, Rocco, I'm a trumpet player. He said, I'll give you an extra $5. I said, okay, I'll do it. <laughs> so I started singing some songs, and then people kept asking for Frankie to sing and play. Frankie sang some more songs. So I started singing a little more, and he gave me another $5. So, and then uh, on uh, a summer uh, job that we had in in, in Jersey at uh, Summer's Point, a place called Bay Shores. Uh new record company came in and they heard uh, Rocco and the Saints and they heard me sing a couple of songs. They liked the band and they said we'd like to sign the band and we'd like that kid Frankie to sing on the flip side. So this is so Chancellor, Chancellor
1: records records. Yeah. Was and this these are two guys, DeAngelis and Mark. And Marcucci, right? right. Was there something again, there's misinformation that's sometimes out there. I don't know describe uh-huh. it, but was DeAngelis' aunt or something, your babysitter at one time I'd read, or it was something crazy? Um, um, that I don't remember, Scott. Yeah. Uh, it, no, well, it, it could it, be nonsense, but yeah, I mean, yeah. it's interesting, though, because here it's a, this relatively small label, right, that signs you. Oh, yeah, yeah. Also then Fabian, also, you know, but like you guys put them on the map. Yeah. And, oh, uh, oh, yeah,
0: yeah, yeah.
1: Um, I wonder, uh, it seems like the first couple of things you did for them, you know, were solid but not explos- explosively received. There were bombs, Bom- the okay. UK? Well, you said yeah, yeah, it, not me. does, right? right? Yeah, <laughs> so what it seems like again, just one of these crazy stories that the thing that really registers first w-
0: would have been the le- maybe the least expected, right? DD Dee Dee Dinah, you're holding well, your well, nose, Scott. Right? What happened was this <laughs> after the couple of records, the band split up. Because yeah. they, did, they didn't want to really be in show business, so, you know, one became a doctor, a chemist, and so forth, and they they kept me on as a singer. I said, okay, and I had one more record to do. Mm-hmm. So they take me into New York and there was this song called Dee Dee Dinah, and in those days, there was only two tracks, so you didn't have all the, the band was on one microphone, I was on the other, you know. And uh, we started rehearsing, and uh, I, I started kind of mimicking what I heard as a musician, a very staccato kind of a band, uh, lick. And it was So I said, so I started singing, I love my dana, d I love my dana, So Pete D'Angelo comes out and he says, what are you doing? I said, sounds very staccato to me. I said, I don't know. He said, let's make a few takes like that. I said, are you kidding? He said, no. So I went, I love my dana, teeny dana Boney, and Peggy, sir. Right, so now, the record comes out, and uh, I don't know what's happening. All of a sudden, it starts to make and hit the charts. Was that the first one that,
1: where you would have crossed paths with Dick Clark? Because I think it was on American right, Bandstand, right, right?
0: Right. The other two records that we talked about that were bombs, yeah. I couldn't go on Dick Clark's show because Dick Clark was very professional. Mm-hmm. He only put on his show a song that was making the charts around the country. So D.D. Diner started to make the charts, mm-hmm. and uh, that's how I got to do the Dick wow. Clark show. Bo maroon and biggie Soup.
1: From there, I mean, it seems like there was just this crazy run where obviously probably at the height of things, right, to have two number ones in 59 with yeah. with Venus and Why. Uh, can you just share, just since those are two that are always going to be so associated with mm-hmm. you and why and really the last mm-hmm. uh, number one song of the 50s? I'll
0: never let you go, why? because i love you i always love you so why because you love me no broken hearts for us cause we
1: love of that era you know those are those are always going to be so associated with that time mm-hmm. what what do you think made them and makes them so special
0: I think Pete DeAngelis, I really do. I think he was the producer, he was the the writer of the song. I'll never forget, let's say, let's go to uh, Venus. Mm -hmm. When that song came to me first, um, it was a knock on the door, and a guy presented himself, my name is Ed Marshall, he said, and I'm a songwriter, can I play a song for you? And I'm, sure, come on in. And I had a piano, and uh, he sat down and he played the song, Venus. And I I, I said, play it again. Jesus, it's wonderful. He played it again. I called Pete uh, he they, they had their offices there in Philly. And he said, well, bring him over. I said, okay. And we walked in and, and Pete was there. And Ed Marshall uh, played the song and sang the song for him. And he listened to it. And Bob Marcucci was there. And after it was done a couple of times, uh, Pete looked at him. He said, I'd like to make a change. Would you mind? So the uh, songwriter, Ed Marshall, said, uh, no, what is it? He said, I want to change the melody. He said, what do you mean? He said, well, the song that you wrote goes, da He said, I'd like to change one note. He said, what would the note be? He said, da be-dee-da-da-da-da-da-da-da. So he said, that's fine. <laughs> and then Marcucci came and he said, I'd like to change a word. He said, What's the word? He said, As long as you he said, as long as we both will live. He said, No, I'd like to change it to shall live. Mm-hmm. As long as we shall both shall live. <laughs> so we made those changes. Now we go, he sets up a, a recording session, and about a week later, and we're I'm I'm learning the song in the back of the car, going into New York City at Bell Sound to record it and I'm rehearsing it with him, and uh, he says, wait till you hear the arrangement. I said, what do you mean, yeah. P? He said, well, wait do you hear what I wrote. Right. I said, well, you haven't heard it. He said, of course, I wrote it. <laughs> I said, what do you mean? He said, it's all in my head. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and that's the kind of a talent he was. Wow. We went in there. I did, I'll never forget, seven takes, and only because of the fact it wasn't only my mistake, but it was the a thing, a, 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 a sound came into the mic. It, one instrument was leaking into another. But on the seventh take, we both listened to it and, and said, okay, that's the one. You got it. They yeah. put it out, and then about the three weeks later, it went from number 69 on the charts to 15 to 1 and stayed there for a while. Venus, if you do, I promise that I will wait. I'll give her all the love I have to give, as long as we both shall live. God is love, love that you are, surely the things I am.
1: What's that moment in time like for you as you think back to it, where, I mean, we'd seen things like this with Bobby Soxers right going nuts for Sinatra and things like but it was it's not a con, not too many people have had a taste of what it's like to be what you were in that moment. What what do you what stands out the
0: most when you think about first really blowing up? Well, you know, to become number 1 in anything mm-hmm. is is an amazing feat. I never expected it, you know. I just I, I believed what I did. I loved the song. I love people. Um, I guess I had some kind of a quality that kids took to. I never, I mean, I was always a kid that was popular in school. I was, you know, in my school book, you'll see, best dressed, best uh, Mm -hmm. looking, all this other stuff. Mm -hmm. Okay, so that's fine. But then all of a sudden, I become so popular with kids uh, that I can't even walk out anyplace. I mean, I'd go to a restaurant. they take my fork, knife, spoon. <laughs> I mean, it was nuts. And it, 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 the feeling was to me, it wasn't an adulation that I thought, wow, this is really, it was almost, I, I didn't know how to handle it. I mean, it, it was almost embarrassing. Mm-hmm. Please don't scream. Right, know. right. Uh, it was uh, quite an experience that, uh, that I enjoyed, but it was awkward. It was an awkward feeling. So you have in that period I think it's between 58 and 62
1: 31 songs that chart. Mm-hmm. And this is that sweet spot I guess the way some people have described it is essentially like between Elvis and the Beatles. You're the you're the the main attraction, uh-huh, right? Uh-huh. What did you it seems like you were also at that time beginning to do increasing amounts of acting. Was that because you saw that maybe the taste in music or the direction of it was going in a different
0: direction or you just were interested no, no, in that? No, no, I, I, It was not by choice. I, I mean, I started making films. Why? Mm-hmm. Because of the fact that um, Warner Brothers uh, saw that I had a tremendous following. Right. Uh, and and they said, uh, let's get this kid in a picture with a major star. Mm-hmm. So they signed me to do a picture with a, a major star, which was Alan, Alan Ladd, yeah. and it was called Guns of the Timberland. I never acted a day in my life, <laughs> and, but, you know, I was a gutsy little kid. Not really? that I was precocious. That right. I was not, right. but I, I did have a, a, a lot of, uh, uh, I don't know, guts, Yeah. Uh, and I, I said, I'm doing it, you yeah. know? and I just went, and um, it was a good experience. I, I, I'd sit by the camera, and I'd watch these actors, and I, that's how I learned. So then
1: I guess the rushes of that are seen by John Wayne, who's getting ready to do his directorial debut and play Davy Crockett in the Alamo. And he, I guess it was sort of the thing they had tried with Rio Bravo with Ricky Nelson. And now you're going to be in this with, with, for John Wayne. Uh, What was your experience with that one? Which for him, I, I, I've read, it was like a obsession for him, this project. Oh,
0: this this was his project. This was his baby. He put his own money into that film. He, he he was the director, the producer and the star and tough. Yeah. And I mean, when you when you saw John Wayne, you saw a man that was like uh, an image that you would never see, think that you would see in reality. Uh, he was a great man, a great director, took a liking to me. And I was on that film for four or five months. I don't know what it was, but I was in the middle of Texas, and you know, with snakes and rattlesnakes <laughs> and all this other stuff. You know, I'm a yeah. kid from South Philly. Yeah, know. yeah. It was quite an experience, and I learned how to ride a horse. And he yeah. taught me how to ride. And he said when he put me on the horse there, because I was supposed to take this, the, the, the the message to Sam Houston, General Sam. Right. So I had to be a good rider. So you know, they taught me. And he said to me, Frank, when you sit on that saddle, he said, make it like you've got the hanger. And some uh, hangar is pulling you up, and that's how you ride. And you keep your back straight. You Posture, yeah. So, you know, it was great
1: working with him and a great experience. Well, and he had some very nice things to say about you. I found a quote after the movie was shot, but before it was put out to the world. Um, quote, we're not cutting one bit of any scene in which Frankie appears. I believe he is the finest young talent I've seen in a long time.
0: Wow, that was quote, quote. That's that quite a great, nice quote. Yeah.
1: And for you, then, I guess it's this, this run we have... Um, After that voyage to the bottom of the sea, the Carpetbaggers, Panic in the Year of
0: Zero, all within a very short amount of time. Yeah, Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I started making films. And you know what is great about that, Scott, is that as popular as I was, they didn't have me carry a film, if that means that you're starring. Right. So uh, I was always with big stars, and I was third lead or fourth lead or whatever, which gave me an opportunity to work with wonderfully talented uh, actors and actresses. And, and I would sit by the, the camera and watch how they worked, and I would learn. Yeah. And then I started making—at Columbia, I started studying with the Columbia Studios uh, staff there. and mm-hmm. So I, I I really got into acting, and I wanted to be a good actor, and I tried my best. Well, and it seems like with Panic in the Year of Zero,
1: which is 1962, that's the first time you're working— For Samuel Z. Arkoff and American International Pictures, you and Ray Milan. was there something, I mean, that movie did so well, I guess Arkoff... Saw a good thing when he yeah, like, can, yeah. is that that basically led to the beach movie. That's right, right.
0: right. Uh, that led to the beach pictures because of the fact that you now Ray Milland was an Academy Award winner. He also directed me in that picture. He directed the whole film, okay. and wonderfully a talented man that I watched him and he showed me things and told me how to w- with the camera where your eyes go and all this other stuff. And, of course, I got friendly with Lou Russoff, who wrote that film, and so friendly that I said, Lou, why don't you write something for young people, like the Bowery Boys, this, that, whatever. And he came out with a script called Beach Party, and not only did he do a a combination of the Bowery Boys, of young guys together, but he also put young girls together. So there was the the combination of the guys and the girls, and and, uh, the first script, I must say, were but there was a lot of things that uh, were not liked by the director uh Bill Asher William Asher so they took out a lot of the sexier things this that whatever they wanted the 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 virginity yeah. <laughs> uh, he wanted you know the the relationship of Frankie and Dee at the time great. which was Annette net to be solid and and wholesome
1: well Asher I found this great quote he told the New York Times in 64 quote, the key to these pictures is lots of flesh, but no sex. It's all good, clean, fun, no hearts are broken, and virginity prevails. There you go. Close quote. So yeah. that was kind of understood all. Uh-huh. Let me ask you though about Arkoff because was that somebody who you actually would he be around? Was that somebody you dealt with? Just no, okay. not at all.
0: Not at all. Okay. You would see him uh, periodically with a cigar and, you know, maybe come back to the set a yeah. little bit. But Jim Nicholson was the key yeah. to those pictures. Yeah, he was very important. And whose
1: idea was it? I've heard one report, and again, it may not be correct, that I know Annette Funicello ultimately married Jack Gilardi, who was right. an agent. Was it his idea that the two of you should be paired? Did you ever, were you ever considered either of you
0: with somebody else? You know what? I really don't know if it was Jack Gilardi's decision to put Annette. It may have been probably Jim Nicholson, Mm -hmm. I would think, because she was under contract still to Disney. To Disney, yeah. Because she was the Musketeer. Yeah. And I think they went to Disney and they did a loan out Mm -hmm. for her to do that. And uh, that's how I I think that that happened. I just learned something 10
1: minutes ago when you were out uh, introducing Beach Party, which is screening now where we are, that you had known... Annette before any of this stuff? What, how yeah. can Would you mind sharing
0: again just how you first crossed paths? Yeah, we were doing a show together at the Hollywood Bowl for Dick Clark. Mm-hmm. And I think it was 1959 or somewhere around there. And she was about two years, or three years younger than me. And I met her and I thought she was awfully cute. Mm-hmm. And I asked her for a date. And mm-hmm. she said, you got you to talk to my mother. So <laughs> I went and I said, she gave me her phone number and I called Virginia and she said, come on over to the house and I drove into the valley. I was living in Beverly Hills there and uh, took it for a slice of pizza and and we dated a few times and kept in touch with one another and then all of a sudden uh, when the script was finalized and I said, who's playing opposite me is uh, the female? They said Annette Funicello." I said, great, wonderful. Now the
1: funny thing, again, correct me if I'm wrong, but like people have this idea, oh, Frankie and Annette are this great... Recurrent couple, sort of the Astaire and Rogers of their era, and yet from before the from the very first one, you were married and she was involved with Jack right the whole time. Right, so right, there was right. never any no, chance no, of actual no,
0: no, nothing romantic at all. Yeah, uh, you're absolutely right. I was married and and started my family the, back then. Now you and she though, uh, with all these movies over
1: quite a few in a short amount, of, relatively short amount of time. Was it clear to you guys even from the first one before the public weighed in that there was something special in terms of your chemistry or what? I mean, would you have ever imagined uh, after, during that first one, which, again, is screening right now, that this would blow up? I guess it was because maybe there was an
0: undernourished audience of teens and drive-ins. And I don't what, know. I, I, think, I think everything worked. I, I think the whole idea and I think a very important uh, part of all those films is really Bill Asher. Mm. I think the director, he, he directed, he knew exactly what he wanted. And he said, this is fun. There's nothing serious about this at all. Because you and guys play, had no budgets, no, no shooting no, time, no, right? $350,000, we made those pictures for 15 days. We made them 15 days. It was just a fun, you know, and, and, and the group became an ensemble. Yeah. So we knew each other. It was a, come on, we're doing another picture. Hey, okay, great. Hey, Johnny, how are you? You know, it was a, that kind of a friendship.
1: <laughs> and were they all down in the same part of Malibu? I yeah, read Paradise yeah. Cove, Paradise is that right? Paradise Cove, right. Exactly. It's sort of a
0: private beach, or is it well, not? no, you know, yeah. it yep. was a beach owned by um, Bob Morris, I think his name mm-hmm. is, yes. And uh, they had uh, uh, a little uh, uh, what do you call those, uh, carts, uh, with food trucks? Uh, oh carts, yeah. Yeah. Food trucks yeah. Uh, food trucks. yeah. And food trucks. And, and they owned that beach there yeah. and uh, that's where we shot. So them, you were there where... when
1: other people were also on other parts of the beach or would they shut nobody down the beach. On the beach? Nobody on the beach. Oh, right. No because you guys, there. well, but also I, I, I was amazed to learn you guys for, uh, for what reason? I don't know, but they're shooting this in the coldest month.
0: Your, all of these movies were shot in the coldest oh, months of the know, Cause they wanted them out for the summer. Okay. So we're there January, February, March, and it's cold. Oh, I mean, the list. Back to the Beach we made was horrendous. It mean, <laughs> was freezing. We had bad weather in 1987. And yet you have to look like you're in February. having yeah. fun on the beach, yeah, which right, you're freezing. Right, right, right.
1: Uh, so not that many years later, in the 70s now, there's—along comes Greece first on Broadway, then as a movie. And I know they were interested in you even for the show, to be a part of involved with the show— And then even with the movie, both times you sort of begged off. And then I guess Randall Kleiser eventually, you know, was able to convince you to do the movie. Um, But what was your reluctance? Did you feel it was already
0: being sort of sadder? Like what was going on? Scott, uh, exactly what had happened. It was in 19. I don't know exactly when the film, when the play came out. I think it was 72. Might be. Yeah. Okay. So it was maybe 70, 71. It was on Broadway. Yeah. Okay, I'm starring at the Copacabana, which is on 60th. And their theater was up the street a a bit. Mm -hmm. And they were doing a promotion. They said, Frankie, you're from that era. They want to do a promotion uh, to shoot some scenes. And I said, "Okay, fine. So I went in the afternoon and I watched a play. Mm -hmm. And I did the promotion with them. And then time had gone by. And in 1970. I think it was beginning of 77, maybe. And I was playing golf at Lakeside Country Club, and I came off the ninth hole, and my manager was Dick Link, Mm -hmm. uh, who managed Andy Griffith and the Andy Griffith Show and all that stuff. And he said to me, and he had a script. and He he said, I said, what do you want? He said, "Uh, I got a a script here from Paramount. I said, what is it? He said, "Uh, it's a picture called Grease. I said, you mean you like to play? (laughs) He said, yeah. I said, what character? He said, Teen Angel. Mm-hmm. And I thought, and I said, nah, pass. So I, I went played the backside. He came back after the 18th hole, and he's still there with the script. He said, they will not take no. <laughs> they want to at least have a conversation and meeting with you at Paramount. I said, okay. So I go in, Randall Kleiser and uh, is the director, and, and Patty Birch is the choreographer, and Alan Carr, producer. Yeah. And Stigwood, and we'd talk around. they say, why don't you want to do this? I said, well, because I saw the play, and, you know, the character is, a, is an extension of Elvis. I said, that's oh, not my character. I mean, I don't I don't sing like that. I've right. got my own style. Right, right. And it's all in black, and he comes off of a rope. He said, no, no. we'll change it. <laughs> so they put it all in white and all this other stuff, and I said, okay, let's do it. And that song that you sing there, UD School Dropout and around the corner store, beauty school dropouts. It's about time you knew the score. Well, they couldn't teach you anything. You think you're such a looker, but no customer would go to you unless she was a hooker.
1: I believe you've said that weirdly, that's in some ways the one that more than any other people maybe ask you about or or ask you to sing is that right well you know why it,
0: it it's 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 really a film that has lasted for 45 years yeah. around the world and still is yeah around the world and uh that song is part of that film and it means something to the young people who watch it even to today right whether i'm frankie avalon playing uh Teen Angel at uh, eighty-three years old, or right, whatever. Right. Yeah, it doesn't matter how old you are. He's he's Teen Angel. In this
1: last minute, just a rapid fire, if we can, <laughs> just the first thing that comes to mind. What's been the coolest part of the legacy of some of your early work? When you see, I know there, it's been songs have been referenced in movies. You've done cameos in movie, all kinds of what.
0: What kind of has been a highlight for you there? It's got to be Greece. Greece mainly. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I mean. Uh, I mean, even young kids today watch it, they know it, uh, they know Teen Angel, yeah. Yeah. That's the a- uh, Next one, when you think about Annette, who
1: sadly I think it's about 10 years now that she's right. been what comes to mind first when you when you think about her?
0: Um, just our friendship, our relationship, uh, not uh, just on the screen. That was fun and that was great, never argued, nothing, but uh, just, just a family. Right. I mean, she became, we're both Italian. Yeah. And we both recognized the same things that, uh, as an Italian family growing up, and uh, which was very important to her and very important to me, and we raised our children the same way. Right. The friendship uh, was amazing. Uh, I, I just hated to see what had happened to her through her life. Having MS, which was a, such a, b- a bad, debilitating disease, and I saw her just go downhill, 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 downhill. Well, finally... Uh-
1: for people wondering you know tell us about life today i know you're still out and about all over the place and and also i guess people might wonder do you still go to the beach
0: uh yeah i do i live close <laughs> to malibu yeah i go down there quite a bit i love the restaurants there i still know people down there right. and my life is uh still doing what i've been doing for the last 60 some years singing so right. i i still play concerts around the country uh uh, whether it be Las Vegas, Atlantic City, and the casinos, or even uh, performing arts theaters around the country, and I still enjoy it. Uh, I have a wonderful family. I have eight children, ten grandchildren. Oh, wow. I'm married to the same woman for 60 years. Wow. Uh, we enjoy things together. We are a family, and we uh, we still enjoy it. Awesome.
1: Well, thank you for all the great work that we still get to enjoy, and thank you for doing this. I really appreciate thank it. you, Scott. Appreciate, appreciate it. it. Thank Thanks. you. Thanks for listening to Awards Chatter. We really appreciate it and would really appreciate you taking just a minute more to subscribe to the podcast and to leave us a rating and review on your podcast app. And to follow us on Twitter and Instagram, where our handle is at Awards Chatter. On those platforms, we announce upcoming guests and provide details about special live recordings of the podcast that you can attend. Until next time, thanks again for tuning in.